You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 136. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we start by talking about a new U.S. ETF that has been getting a great deal of buzz or attention. The VanX Vectors Social Sentiment ETF, symbol Buzz, B-U-Z-Z. Apparently, the ETF is able to, quote-unquote, cut through the noise of the millions of online conversations to identify stocks with bullish investor sentiment and trade them. We will give you our thoughts. Now, in our case for case against segment we take a look at tfi international it's a north american leader in the transportation logistics industry operating in canada and the u.s the case for will be done by aaron the case against is argued by brennan and i will sit in as judge jury and executioner in our your stock our take segment we answer a listener question on cameco corporation symbol cco on the tsx one of the world's largest uranium producers the company's shares have performed well at the start of 2021 following renewed optimism in the nuclear power market after doing little but decline for around 10 years we will let you know whether the move or not in cameco is sustainable I'd like to welcome my two co-hosts again this week, Brennan and Aaron. How are you two doing? Doing well. Salutations. Doing well. Yeah. Yeah, we have... Looking uh, forward to this uh, this debate coming up here that I have with Brennan. Mm, Brennan, yeah. your thoughts yeah, on I'm that? It's been a little while since Brennan and I have squared off. You know, he's... Uh, well, I mean, he's you, getting better. You had he's that, getting yeah, better, a little bit better every time. You had that Greco-Roman wrestling uh, match in the office, but we won't talk about that. You squared <laughs> off there, but you mean in the intellectual arena, right? Yeah, in terms I'm of looking investing. to win this one. Yeah, the wrestle didn't go too well for myself. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just well, Aaron did study jujitsu, right, Aaron? So, yeah, it wasn't really necessarily that good, but uh, no. good enough to beat Brandon anyways. <laughs> no, you kind of just held your hand out there, right? And it was just kinda, he was coming at you and there yeah. wasn't much going on. Anyways, we'll, we'll not uh, remember that uh, anymore at any point in the show. Now, we're, we're going to say that we got our April webinars coming up, April 6th and April 13th. Tickets will go on sale next week for those. Our November ones sold out, so you know we encourage you to get them fast once they go up. Uh, we'll have some more news on that on the next show. Let's dig yeah, in. I just want to say, can I say something about the DIY? Not really. Because I actually, it's it's almost surprising that you brought it up. That it's you know the next rounds are coming up again. But uh, I've already started. We've already started thinking about the content and how we can. We're always looking to make it better and really adapt it to what's going on um, currently as well, so that you know investors can get a good idea of how to situate themselves in this kind of market. Uh, so 
really looking forward to it. Yeah, and we'll talk. Um, we're just going to talk about a, a fund right now that uh, you know typifies some of the things that are going on in the market right now, and you know we're going to comment on some of these in the seminar, like provide real uh, some real advice on which ways to go and which ways not to go in the market in terms of investing. And now the Vanek so vectors social sentiment ETF or Buzz is the symbol. So it's a social sentiment ETF with 75 holdings currently, monthly rebalancing. It's been promoted by Dave Portnoy uh, of Barstool Sports fame. Um, Now, this is coming directly from the creators. I'm going to read a little statement here. They say, we are experiencing a monumental momentum or a monumental moment, sorry, within the history of retail investors. Uh, Twitter, Reddit, StockTwits, and dozens of other platforms have established communities for investors to discuss stocks. And as a result of soaring online engagement, they have become an alternative data set for investors to scour and utilize for a performance edge. Now, I would take a little issue with that. There's been decades of online information, amateur bloggers and non-amateur bloggers, analysts out there posting content in individual stocks. But I would like to see the data set that backs up that over a long-term horizon, any investor can get a quantifiable edge by reading a Reddit blog or seeing a Twitter meme on an individual stock. I'd really love to see that data set. But anyways, to go on in this with the promoters behind this uh, ETF, they say Buzz empowers individual investors to potentially benefit from the predictive insights gained by measuring the collective convictions convictions about stocks, ultimately building the benchmark for social sentiment. Um, look, I, I get using more and more data in investing it, that it's smart, but in my opinion, this is really not investing. It's momentum trading. Historically, most attempts to trade sentiment and momentum just do not perform well. It looks like, you know, another firm using buzzwords here and a hot market to raise capital and charge a 0.75% fee from it, rather than doing really difficult, hard work to create value on behalf of their clients to find great businesses to grow their clients' wealth over the long term. So, I mean, I got more comments on it, but I'll let you guys if you've got any. Yeah, so if if I could just dig into it a bit. So, like you said, it's a social sentiment ETF. Uh, It it has monthly rebalancing, and they're holding about 75 uh, stocks in the ETF uh, at one time. So, you know, my, my first comment is just that is a lot of stocks. Now, something that I should also add is that for a company to be added into the ETF, it needs to have a $5 billion market cap. Now, of course, all of us know GameStop, AMC Entertainment, Bed Bath & Beyond. These are are basically the the gold standard of meme stocks, at least for the time being. Um, And essentially... um, None of these stocks would have been added to the ETF because their market caps weren't over $5 billion. So, you know, you would have been buying them when it's possibly too late, especially where, you know, you would have possibly been getting into GameStop when the stock price was over $100, which, you know, at that point, I wouldn't have touched it with a a 10 foot pole. Um, you know, because of course I, I don't have a, a great outlook for uh, GameStop and, and buying video games in store. Um, but yeah, so, you know, essentially they're, they're not getting into these stocks uh, when they're, they're at the level that, 
you know, they're, they're taking off from essentially, you know, they, they might be added to the ETF when it's too late, uh, which definitely scares me, especially if, you know, there's a lot of social sentiment around it, because I would assume that, you know, if all of a sudden uh, GameStop was trading like it was, you know, that stock probably would have been added to the ETF uh, based on the index. Yeah, I mean, to me, sentiment investing, like l- literally, this is about, in some respects, investing with the crowd. And crowds aren't always wise. In fact, some can be the opposite. I mean, take, for instance, the frenzy of investors participating in the stock market bubble, like a one that occurred, say, in the late 90, 1990s, the dot-com boom. Um, this, the group or crowd involved in this bubble invested based on speculation that internet startups basically would become profitable at some point in the future. Many of the stock prices soared, despite the fact they had not generated any revenue. They had .com behind their name. Uh, um, for a good portion of those companies went uh, bankrupt or you know never became anything or went to a height and then lost 80% of their value. I mean, the crowd was investing in those companies. In, in the short term, the crowd... Uh, you know, and in the mid and long term, the crowd was not right. So um, many of the most, and, and I just look at our investing strategy, and this this couldn't be farther from what we're looking for. Mo- many of our most profitable investments that continue today to make our clients wealthy come from investing where the crowd was not. I think. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, I'm not saying he's the greatest investor of all time, but he famously said, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where it has been. Um, There was literally no coverage, I repeat, no coverage on Boyd or Expel when we recommended them to clients over the past decade. Now, Boyd has been the best performing stock in all of Canada over that last decade. Expel is one of the best performing stocks in the entire country and now in the U.S. over the past three years up 3,000 plus percent. Boyd is up 10,000 plus percent. Uh, no social media momentum a- algorithm could have led you to these life-changing investments. I, for one, would remain skeptical as to whether this fund can per- outperform over the long term. Yeah, I'm very skeptical. Okay, yeah. So, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just learning about this right now. I, I find it, you know, very interesting. And there's there's a few points I want to make. So, first of all, I think it's absolutely brilliant from a marketing perspective. I mean, I'm <laughs> well, sure it's all about raising that they're money. Make a lot of money. It's, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna attract a lot of attention. It's gonna attract a lot of capital. Um, so this is what Vanek does. I would, though. I would I would ask. Sorry, Ryan. I mean, Vanek has in the past done things on you know they you know cutting edge development of EP, ETFs. It's sentiment based kind of. Um, creation of a financial product that can raise a lot of money. And that's what's gone on here, in my opinion. Right, right. So looking at the just just the performance numbers, so I can see here the index that they created, um, they're quoting a return of uh, 58% for the year, for a year, compared to the S&P 500 of of 18.4%. So I noticed that the ETF only only launched this year. Um so a question I and, and I have not looked and verified this myself, but a question that I would have it they have they have their index going back five years. Um, has the was the index actually constructed publicly five years ago using the same algorithms that they're using today, uh, or is this a back tested return? So that's I don't know the answer to that, but that's really important to know because if they created the the index 
or they created the algorithm and then they back tested that. So compared that, essentially determined how the algorithm would have performed historically if they had if they had implemented it in the past, i.e. if they had a time machine. Um, that that's a step in the process of validating a model, but that's not the end, right? So it's um it that would be something that's really interesting to know. But one thing I'll say, I mean, I'm looking at the top 10 holdings. Some of these are okay companies. You've got Facebook, you've got Apple, uh, you know, Netflix, Amazon. So to the extent that a sentiment analysis can direct you to some decent companies, I think that that's fine. Um, I, I would want to know exactly what other types of filtering they're doing. I, I know that they're only investing in companies that have a, a market cap of five billion or more. Um, so that's one filter. But are they also are they also uh, using other filters like whether or not a company has revenue? Um, obviously not profitability because most of these companies aren't profitable. So that would be something to know. But what is really important to understand about algorithmic investing, I mean, sentiment analysis, I absolutely think it's an excellent tool as a part of your toolkit. But to rely on that as essentially your sole indicator for whether or not to invest in a company, and I'm not saying that this that they're doing that because I haven't looked at their model. But if you're just relying on sentiment indication indicators, that's going to be really problematic. You're setting yourself up for a lot of risk. Now, one thing that people really have to consider is when in, in the world of quantitative or algorithmic investing, there's, there's something called an alpha factor. So this is essentially an indicator, something you can calculate that you believe is a driver of returns in a stock. That's an alpha factor. So for them, they're saying a sentiment analysis, which will essentially result in a score, a sentiment score is their alpha factor. And they're using that alpha factor to essentially determine what the future return of a company is going to be. That's essentially what they're trying to do. Higher alpha factor typically would mean, you know, higher ranking in, in the list. But in quantitative investing, once you discover an alpha factor and you implement it, um, other players in the market start to see this as well. Of and then they start to yeah. emulate it. Yeah. So it turns from an alpha factor into what is called a risk factor. This is you know, basically quantitative investing 101. I'm not a quantitative analyst, but I like to learn about these things. It turns into something called a risk factor. And a risk factor is something that explains the volatility or how a stock or an investment moves up and down, but not the returns that are driven. So essentially, when you find a good quantitative indicator for your model and you you implement that more than likely over a period of time other market players are going to implement it as well and they're going to drive all the inefficiency out they're going to drive all the return out of that alpha factor turning it into a risk factor which is not useful to um determining you know returns of a stock or what you're thinking a stock is going to return because everybody knows it, because everybody can use it. You essentially lose your competitive advantage. So this is a highly public. Now, if they have the absolute best algorithms out there, who knows? But um, this, is, uh, this is certainly a risk that I think people should consider when they're looking at the past returns of this ETF and, and wondering whether or not they can extrapolate that going forward. Now, to the extent that a sentiment analysis can, can direct you this towards some really interesting companies, I have no problem with it. I would use that. But once it provided me with those companies, I would then want to look at those companies and drill down and, and, and apply some other analysis as well. Yeah. And just using that single singular 
method and singular way of identifying companies to me is not doing enough analysis if you want to invest long term perhaps if you want to trade and this fund is going to continue to trade in and out trade in and out on a monthly basis but i do also see a problem and i can see people taking some arbitrage opportunities if they set a certain date that they do a rebalancing every month because if if you, if you can start to emulate their model that they're using and you know they're going to move from one company to the next sell and then buy i mean they could start to have an influence if this fund becomes larger and larger so anyways i would i think there's i think there's a bunch of things to watch with this and see like look back over five years from now to see how well this vector social etf or buzz etf does over the next five years that will be really proof in the pudding and we'll see how it does over that time kind of as a departure from the way we would look at the markets for sure you know another thing that that would be great about sentiment analysis just as a toolkit in your in your analyst toolbox is when you find a company you really like you could run a sentiment analysis on it and if if the sentiment on it is negative that doesn't necessarily mean that you that you don't invest in the stock, but it means you need to find out why it's negative, mm-hmm. what people are talking about, what they're concerned about, and determine for yourself if that is 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 a reasonable risk. Yeah, because the crowd can be wrong and right. So, I mean, and you, you have to make Absolutely. that judgment yourself. It's certainly a tool you can use. I don't know why it would want, you'd want it to be the only tool in your toolkit box. And that's kind of the only tool that this fund is using right now. So let, let's look at, TFI International, TFI or TFII on the TSX, currently trades at $90.77, market cap around $8.5 billion. So what does the company do? TFI International is a North American leader in the transportation and logistics industry. It operates in Canada and the U.S. It operates in the package and courier less than truckload, truckload and logistics segments. Are you guys ready for this uh, case for and case against? Oh, yes, yeah. and I would like to say that I I did give Brennan the the pick. We didn't flip a coin. I decided to let Brennan decide what what side he was going to defend. So um, didn't my coin flip come up the same way, anyways? Um, no, no, it, it no. Came up the okay, other way. so it could we could have went the other way. We could have mm. went the other way. Yeah, mm, but uh, but no, I, I appreciate it, Aaron. I, I you know taking one for the team. Uh, going Are against you? your, I your thought you wanted you... this case. Well, well, no, no, I, I did want this case. I'm just saying okay, that you, uh, you know he's allowing <laughs> me to uh, to t- to take the easy W here is what I'm saying. You know, and go against his uh, his, his bet that uh, I was going to lose. Well, what's your bet again? More than fifty percent. More than fifty percent, yeah. or no, more than uh, more than seventy five percent. So uh, yeah, something like that. But but either way, it's just you know this is going to be like uh, taking candy from from a grown man. I guess I could say. Well, partially, grown man. <laughs> what do you have to say? We'll see what you got. <laughs> Mentally, we're not sure about that. Um, okay, well, the, the, I, the talk is over. The talk is over. Now yeah, we're actually yeah. Let's get to, to it. About the gloves. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to run the clock here. One second. This makes for good. Okay. Now, are you? Who's going to go first? Case against or case Doesn't for? Doesn't matter. Case against. Okay, Kay. Brennan, you go first. Four. Three, two, one, go. Number one, top line revenue growth has stalled, coming in at $3.48 billion in 2020. 
2019, and 2018, and after fuel surcharges, revenue has actually declined 4% over the three-year period. Number two, profitability margins are increasing, but this continued margin expansion is not sustainable over the long term to drive the stock share price. And diesel fuel costs have increased over 30% in the last five months alone, which could put negative pressure on margins in the future. Number three, TFI has a lot of debt on their balance sheet, coming in with net debt balance of $1.2 billion, which isn't com- too, too concerning, but with the recent increase in prime rates, TFI's debt service is likely to become more expensive in the future. And number four, the company is currently trading with an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple of approximately 14 times, showing that TFI is rather expensive considering the business offers no top line revenue growth and how much further can margin expansion drive the share price going forward? Not much in my opinion. Boom. Eh, okay, there we go. Nice. Just under the wire. Interesting. Aaron, are you ready for the case for TFI? I am ready. Yes. All right. Let's get this going then. So four, three, two, one, go. Strong momentum and strong financial performance recently. Net revenues were up 18% in last quarter. Earnings per share were up 36%. For the full year, revenue was stable. Earnings grew 11%. Two, essential service benefiting from the e-commerce trend. TFI is a transportation and logistics company, which is essential to the e-commerce industry. This is a trend that we expect to remain strong, and TFI is benefiting from that growth. Three, substantial acquisition activity fuels future growth. TFI strategically made 13 acquisitions in 2020, five in the fourth quarter, two already this year, including the transformational purchase of UPS Freight. Four, healthy balance sheet, debt to equity of 0.7 times, debt to EBITDA of 1.8 times. Five, valuation is not unreasonable. TFI's stock trades at 16 times free cash flow, 21 times adjusted earnings in this market. Come on. Ooh, with 10 seconds to spare, too. Just dropping the mic there. Impressive. Honestly, hearing both Maybe sides. I spoke a little quickly. That was good, though. Mm-hmm. That was good. Hearing both sides, honestly, it's tough. It's tough. Good job. Or good good luck, Ryan, and uh, good job, Aaron. And, and it's good that we, we, we have these contradictory... Mm-hmm. perspectives mm-hmm. on a stock because sometimes even when we're in the office you know as part of the research process if somebody likes a stock we'll ask somebody else to take the devil's advocate position and this is you know a very a very small example of something like that mm-hmm. but but it's uh it's uh it's interesting and brennan you are right uh you know revenues over the last three years i would go off of net revenues over revenues yeah, yeah. for the fuels I, fuel surcharge mm-hmm. but yeah no, that, that makes sense. All right, sense. well, we've, we've set our piece. Yep. Yeah, well, no, luck, uh, you know, I would say this one is one of the closer races uh, that we've had on here over the, you know, since we started doing the case for case against, bull case, bear case on a company. Um, TFI, you know, the margin expansion worries me that it could come a little bit down with the diesel prices going up. But that transformational acquisition uh, gives me reason to be more optimistic. I do like the fact that they are, you know, participating in the e-commerce boom, the logistics of that. Um, I would think right now, like it's a company we have already discussed in the office, so it's you know it meet if it checks off a lot of our criteria. Uh, I'm going to have to give the win to this one on Aaron, to Aaron. Wow! Wow! <laughs> 
What do you have to say for yourself, Brennan? Just, um, oh, Brennan. You know what? You know what? It's right. literally razor thin on this one. I'm going to say it's razor no, I, thin. I agree. And, I agree. And, you know, EV to EBITDA multiple of 14. If the margins come down, then that kind of gets in question. But it's not in these markets. It's not that expensive if we do expect growth this year and next year from that acquisition. If they could bring up some more organic growth now, it's just... It's really, and you could make the case too that, you know, if you look back at them over the last three, four years, you know, I, I would like to have seen more. Yeah, growth. you know, I'm going to say something. So here's the thing it pays a dividend. This is actually on my monitor list yeah. uh, for, for income research at Keystone, but I haven't recommended it. So in a way, I can't be too hard on Brennan because, you know, but I, I think that going through this again, I mean, you know, with the acquisition, it's something that we can look at again. I don't think the balance sheet is is over leveraged. The valuation, it just depends. 16 times free cash flow, 21 times earnings. You know, it, how sustainable is the growth? Can they get the organic growth going? Can they maintain the acquisition growth? But I will tell you this, and this is the, the funny thing about the market. Two years ago, trucking logistics was, was the most boring business for investors. I mean, people, you know, analysts were saying, oh, it's too competitive. There aren't enough barriers to entry, uh, potential margin pressure. People didn't like it. They didn't like the, you know, the sentiment from analysts, generally speaking, on TFI was not good. There was a lot of negative sentiment. Now, all of a sudden, through the pandemic, e-commerce, this is part of the infrastructure of getting supplies to people's houses when we're all shut in. It's the most exciting business, apparently. So, and they're starting to trade at higher valuations. You're saying maybe it will soon be included in the buzz social sentiment index <laughs> because of all the positive social sentiment we're seeing about it. I don't think it's going to be in there in any time. But yeah, and, and I, this I, might is, have, I might I might have exaggerated a little bit when I said it's the most exciting <laughs> sector know, out kidding. there. But it's definitely the the sentiment on something like trucking has definitely anything that's associated with e-commerce associated with benefiting from the pandemic. It's just generally, you know, is generally seen in a positive light. Now, the question is, does the growth continue post-pandemic? Um, how dependent are they off on acquisitions? You know, th these are questions that have to be answered. So and this I took the four case on this. I'm not necessarily telling anybody to buy it. I think it is a good company. I think it has a lot of good fundamentals. Um you know, it's it's something we're looking at. This is the type of debate, like why I like this one is the type of debate we would actually have on this company in the office, probably not putting it down to a minute on each side. Go a little longer in, in the regular form of our debate, but like this is what we look at. And, a, you know, a company that we would look at, uh, you just, we're just, would try to figure out if the growth path can, can continue, the margins can continue at these levels over the long term. We have some doubts on that and there's some, on, there's a real argument to me that they can. So, you know, it, it's yeah. a company that we continue to look at. So we're splitting hairs a little bit on the win yeah, or and loss if I could, in that company. If I could even say, you know, just like a flaw of my my case here is I'm only looking at past revenue growth as well, you know, historical, whereas yeah. like realistically, I should be looking forward. And, and that's the thing, you know, I, I agree completely with Aaron, you know, uh, 14 times EV to EBITDA, you said six 16 times cash flow, you know, that is, you know, growth at a reasonable price. If going forward, these acquisitions, you know, can, you know, increase that that line for, for growth going forward. So no, I completely agree uh, with the, the decision. And uh, yeah, this was one of the funner ones, because I truly didn't know which way it was going. So, uh, so yeah, good, good job, guys. Okay, and, well, uh, I'll let's, remember that, Ryan. Yeah, let's switch gears to our Your Stock, Our Take segment. 
It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. And a question came in on Cameco Corporation, symbol CCO in the TSX. Currently priced at 2023 and market cap of just over $8 billion. So what does Cameco do? It's one of the world's largest uranium producers. The company's flagship MacArthur River and Cigar Lake mines are located in Athabasca Basin in Saskatchewan, Canada, basically in Brennan's backyard, I heard. So, um, yeah, it's true. Now, recent news. What is driving the share price gain? Well, the stock has gained 42% in the past six months. We believe that the energy transition theme is feeding into increased investor interest in nuclear power combined with the potential that the new Biden administration takes a more friendly stance toward the sector generally. This could provide nuclear utilities with increased confidence to return to uranium term contracting market. Uh, in our view, the challenge for investors is assessing the time frame over which this evolving scenario could play out and if it does continue to go the route and if more people continue to go the route of nuclear power. Now, in the interim, the uranium market has actually started off the year quite quietly and the spot price has slipped below $29 US a pound level for the first time since April of 2020. The pricing environment currently is not great. So in conclusion here, now I'm going to put this generally, what do we look for in a great investment? Here's a couple things. Historically, we want strong revenue growth, a path to revenue growth going forward, profitable growth with the potential to increase profit margins over time, a strong or well-managed balance sheet is what we look for. These are some of the things we look at. In the case of growth, we look at whether or not the growth is organic or from a creative acquisition skillfully executed by management. There are many other factors, but this gives us an idea of whether or not the business has been well run and there is a growth path ahead of it. Now, in the case of Cameco, over the last four years, revenue has declined. So for four years, in 2017, did $2.15 billion. Last year, $1.8 billion. Operating profits have gone from around or $237 million to a loss last year of 40 million. That's not inspiring performance. So as an investment or a bet in this case, Cameco comes down to whether you think the nuclear power market will be, where it will be five to 10 years from now, and your confidence in management's ability to manage its minds and grow over the long term. If you're positive on these, then it could work out in your favor. The operating performance over the last five to 10 years really gives you no indication that this company is worth investing in. Again, if it's a bet on uranium long term, which is uncertain, and Cameco's holds mine-specific risk. If I was bullish on this sector, on the nuclear power sector long-term, I would maybe spread a bet out over a uranium ETF might be better than on one company uh, that's going to face significant losses again in 2021 and has that mine-specific risk to that company. So for us right now, we would not, we'd be sitting on the sound, sidelines with Calmico. Yeah, it makes sense. Brennan, you're going to take the, the four case? On Calico, no, <laughs> probably not. But uh, well, the four case could be: I think uranium's going up long term, and the nuclear power market is the place to be. Like literally, that's the case. There's not much else you can say. I mean, oh, Calico's the best managed company in the sector. I don't know how you show that from, you know, looking at the business. But you know, the case, four cases if the price of uh, uranium goes up you over know, long I, term and more I, I will nuclear say, power, and you could make that case. Like their MacArthur project, like or their. MacArthur, I guess, uh, mine, they ended up closing it, I believe. Well, 
temporarily suspending operations because the price of uranium was too low. Now, again, I'm, I, I don't know this sector inside and out, so I might be you know, talking through my teeth here. But from my understanding is in, uh, I believe, early 2018, they ended up suspending the operations just because you know, um, uranium was at such a low uh, and they thought you know, to help support the price going forward, they were going to close it. Uh, you know, for just the time being. So, you know, that is a huge risk. If all of a sudden, you know, this is just a common theme that you're going to hear us talk about at Keystone, you know, it commodity specific risk. It's not something that you can predict, uh, which, you know, is a little scary as an investor. There's no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, you know, especially when all of a sudden a company goes out and says that they're going to suspend some operations at a mine just because of the, uh, the, the price of a commodity has taken an adverse turn, you know. I mean, just to give you the forward-looking multiples on Cameco right now, 2022 expected, the EV to EBITDA is 96, basically, and the price to cash flow is 90. So for a business that really isn't, I mean, it has had declining revenues, you know, you're just betting on more nuclear plant power plants being built over the next, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years. If that's your thesis, then it would be something you buy and you better put that away for 20 years. And if, as those come online, maybe the price comes up and this company does better. Um, you know, for us, it's not the way we invest. We're not betting on a major theme. Us, the theme seems to fit in with a business that we already see is growing its cash flow, is returning us capital, is you know creating value over you know the near, short, mid, long term, all those things we look for, and we have a path of growth ahead, and it fits in with the theme. That's fine. We're not going to buy a stock just for the sake of a theme that may or may not come true into the future. It's not a good. It's a bet, and it's not a good way to invest long term. No, if, if I were to just come across this company on one of our screens, if I were to just, without knowing anything about it, and just look at the financials, I mean, there would be nothing there that would that would encourage me to continue, continue research. I don't follow the commodity markets uh, very closely. I just did take a, a look at the uranium price here, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's... It's been up and down, but it hasn't really. It's it's basically where it was about a year ago. So I'm not sure how like how, what the company. I can't really visualize the growth path for a company like this. So it's not something, not something I personally invest in. No, and there's just so many other good businesses that we can see out there, even right now that have growth. They're trading at relatively reasonable prices. We see a growth path for them going forward. And if we can add 15 to 25 of those businesses to our portfolios, our clients' portfolios over the long term, that's what we're trying to do. Um, If we just take a bunch of bets on a future event occurring and add all those stocks to your portfolio, you look back five, 10 years from now, I don't think you'll be happy with that portfolio. I believe you have a fighting chance to be very happy with the portfolio that's consisting of, you know, that profile of company that we continue to beat people over the head with over the long term. And that's what we do for our clients. And that's what we try to do for ourselves when we invest as well. Yeah. So I hope that uh, that, that'll end our show. Any comments, closing comments from you guys? You got anything else to say or Um, you got to get the hell out of here? We should tally up to see uh, if Aaron's bet is coming true here to see how many losses. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, no. Uh, Here's the thing about that. It's, it's, it's. Two and three months in. of somebody who wants to calculate the returns, you know, at every point throughout the year. I mean, obviously you can just look at your, your, your brokerage statement, but, you know, honestly, 
it's a one-year prediction. Let's let's give it a year. No point in like looking in, checking in on it every week. We just we give it a year. We take a look at the end of the year, and uh, otherwise, it's just a distraction. And I don't want things we, to turn. Hey, out. We, I don't want. Things I say to turn we can look at Brennan something on a six months. How about out. six months? So I'm looking out for Brennan here. Six months. Six and months. We'll look at my record, and I'll be old for like 25. <laughs> I I oh, have a good, good feeling about good. next week. Hey, I don't um, want pity wins. Nothing, I don't want nothing pity to base that no, on. No, no. Hey, you nope. want to know what, Brennan? You've been doing this for two years. Ron and I have been doing it for almost twenty. So that is valid, uh, and I've learned yeah, well, a lot more than from twenty you guys. for Ryan now. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. It's good. Okay, well, we will close the show out this week. Keep your questions coming in to our Ask Us Anything, your stock, our take, case for, case again segment. Any suggestions you got? Continue to rate and review us on iTunes. Go on there. We're going to have some special promos for doing that over the next couple of weeks. So continue to do that. And um, again, keep, keep those questions coming in. And I wish you all out there, stay safe and profitable investing. Thank you. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>